Mr. Collar is here. Now, often we talk to Matthew in the 2 o'clock hour and Shaletta, <clears throat> excuse me, in the 1 o'clock hour. We're just mixing it up. We know the audience uh, listens at different times. We want to give them uh, the quality of our guests, not just automatically the same time. So Matthew is here at uh, 1.08. Like all our guests, like Major was, he's on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Like others, Matthew, since uh, the season has ended, the topic of Justin Jefferson, his future, and his contract have come up. I think the two of us have talked about it. I am more and more convinced of what the Vikings should do, and I think the Vikings should trade the best wide receiver in football. <laughs> I, I am going hot take, baby. You know that's not who I am. I am not a hot take. I'm not a click person. He's amazing. He's going to be amazing for another eight, nine, ten years. But he's about to make crazy money. He's about to make more than anybody else at any position but quarterback. Uh, at minimum, sir, I would aggressively take the temperature of your teams in the top ten because you need a quarterback, man. You are going to win in this league with a quarterback. Now, if you have a quarterback and you have no wide receivers, well, you better have Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady. Your quarterback better be that good. But considering the money, you're going to have to play for him. I am willing to trade Justin Jefferson to save the astronomical amount of money to get great assets for him and to start building the the true rebuild this franchise really needs what do you say mr purple insider matthew collar i would say that you ate some bad sardines uh today is probably mm. what i would say i Mm-mm-mm. i think that that's probably the worst opinion i've ever had i've ever heard from you uh about football uh, because <laughs> trading justin jefferson is one of the worst ideas that i've ever heard i mean truly truly like of all the since I've been here, I got here in 2000, so 2016 is when I arrived. I've, I've never heard a worse fan opinion that has any momentum than get rid of the greatest receiver in the game, truly. And I think what people don't understand is how I'm bowing right cap, now. I'm so impressed. Yeah, there you go. Great, great work. <laughs> uh, what, I, what I think people don't understand is how the salary cap works. Um, Kirk Cousins, the reason it's a problem to pay him so much money is because he's the 12th best quarterback in the league, right? That's the problem. Patrick Mahomes has paid a ton of money and has a huge contract, but he's the best quarterback. That's the issue, is that the performance. So then I think Kirk Cousins has broken our brains to think that paying anyone is like a huge problem. I promise you it's not. I even created in my newsletter a mock Justin Jefferson contract with the year-by-year salary cap hit if, if he were to be paid – 130 million over four years with 70 million guaranteed, which make him, would make him the highest paid receiver in the league. And I came out with the first three years of cap hits being about 15 million dollars. It's totally workable to sign Kirk or to sign Justin Jefferson, and you could even actually sign Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson if you really want to, and still uh, be able to do stuff. But the you know that would make it much. Can, more can you also add Darius? 
Can you also add no, Hunter? And of, even of with those guys, are you good enough? Because you're not, you're of, not good enough. Of course you can still bring those people back if you don't bring back uh, Kirk Cousins. And I would just direct you toward the San Francisco 49ers who had Debo Samuel and Nick Bosa on their team when they won six games a couple years ago. And they did not panic and freak out and trade their best players. You're never going to reach the Super Bowl by getting rid of all-time great players, guys who are, have a Hall of Fame trajectory. You need to build around them. And also, the most important position is quarterback for sure. But when throwing to Justin Jefferson, Kirk Cousins has statistics that belong to MVPs. I mean, that, that's, who's going to help more to make your quarterback a success? Who's going to weigh the odds more of your drafted future quarterback than the greatest receiver in the world. Look at, take a look at Jalen Hurts. Take a look at Tua. Take a look at those guys before they got their elite wide receivers and after. Do we really think Brock Purdy without Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk would be in the Super Bowl playing against the Kansas City but, Chiefs? But, okay, so let not. me jump in because you're making my point on Debo and Ayuk. I think this is a position when the availability of very good, not J.J., but the availability of very good at this position is unparalleled in the league. I think the number of quality receivers that you see enter who turn out to be very good or great, who are in the second round, who are in the third round, in the fourth round, is unlike any position in the game. So you're adamantly against it. You laid out a brilliant case. How high up in this draft, because it seems very clear, we got the three at the top, and then we got the drop-off in the debate on Penix and McCarthy and Knicks. If this organization believed, and let's take, let's take Williams out of the mix right now, number one, but if this organization truly believed that May and Daniels were franchise-altering quarterbacks, and you could use Jefferson and the 11th pick and something else to go up and get your franchise quarterback, and you believe this is a star for 10 years, you would not do it. No, I would not do that. Because if you look at even the history of drafting quarterbacks, just believing that someone's going to be very, very good doesn't make them correct. Uh, even like the order, the order of where quarterbacks have been drafted recently hasn't even determined who's been the most successful. Uh, people picked Sam Darnold, and we heard all about his incredible physical tools over Josh Allen. How about Mitch Trubisky being taken eight slots higher than Patrick Mahomes? The NFL is so good at drafting quarterbacks. They took Leonard Fournette before the greatest quarterback. And also, by the way, the sometimes you're right, now, though. I mean, sometimes they, you're the Chiefs. And you move up, and you get Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, but I'm sa- what I'm saying is that like if anyone had known Patrick Mahomes was going to be as great as he was, they would have taken him number one overall. That like going in through this draft process, we're bad at this. Everyone's bad at this. The league is bad at this. So Jaden Daniels, I really like Jaden Daniels. If they were able to draft him, that would be incredible. But if the league thinks that uh, even you know JJ McCarthy or Bo Nix is a first-round draft pick. The odds seem actually pretty close based on history to which quarterback will turn out as a success. And so much of that is based on what their surrounding cast is, where you go, where you land, who you land with, what receivers you have, what weapons you have. 
is a huge determining factor uh, uh, of, of success. And even if you go back and look at Mahomes, he's such a great test case because the draft analysis world, he, Todd McShay's last mock draft had Patrick Mahomes going 25th, and he's turned out to mm-hmm. be the greatest quarterback. <laughs> like, understanding that you don't know anything he when is the rarity, is actually right? powerful. No, not okay. really. I mean, not really. Wait a like, second. Go through well, the, let me, go okay, through so the order. Okay, you're you're telling me that you don't end up winning more often than not with draft choices right near the top as your quarterback position. What I'm saying is that if you're drafted in the first round, usually the odds are just about the same for all of them, even if they're painted as generational prospects or even if they're painted as just good first-round prospects. I am not saying you can draft Jaron Hall in the fifth and your odds are equal to taking the number one overall draft pick. But if you're talking about QB1 versus QB3 or QB4, I mean, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson are the best quarterbacks out of that draft class, and the league decided that Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold were better prospects. Like, they're just not year-to-year. They just haven't been very good at this. So okay, I those, those are all. Okay, listen, those are all excellent examples: Jackson, Mahomes, Allen. But if we look back, and I'm sure you've done it, let, let's just say uh, since 2000, and we looked at one through ten, ten through you know twenty, twenty-one to, to thirty-two. Don't you think there's still a preponderance of excellence that diminishes after you get to ten? after you get to 20, and after you go round by round? Or do you believe that what you've just stated, that the data shows that you can have every bit as much success landing a successful quarterback with the 18th pick as you do with the second pick? I think that normally if we're talking about where that starts to drop off, it's probably the middle of the first round. But then – Jordan Love looks pretty good, and Lamar Jackson was 32, and Teddy Bridgewater was 32 as well, and I think he would have worked out had he remained healthy. Uh, I think that if if the Minnesota Vikings did an evaluation of, say, let's just say, Bo Nix and Jaden McDaniels, and they decided Jaden McDaniels is definitely a better prospect, but Bo Nix is a first-round caliber, could be uh, your franchise quarterback level of a prospect, then you should take Bo Nix with 11 and not give away your talent and your draft capital because the odds of them working out is so close to each other uh, that, that I would lean toward not having to give up the farm to get somebody. And I also think when you talk about going back to 2000, like, this is way too far. I mean, it's a whole different universe now as far as the way that the NFL operates, the information that they have and everything else, I think they're much better at identifying who belongs in the first round, although they certainly missed on Brock Purdy. But I think everybody else in the playoffs yeah. was a first-round draft pick, right? So, like, um, uh, maybe not Dak Prescott. Yeah, but normally, normally that's how it works way out. out. So, yeah. Right, right, exactly. So I think that they're very good at identifying first-round picks, but succeeding in the NFL does not necessarily, like, correlate – to uh, how you did in college or, you know, if you won the Heisman or you didn't. Like, there are things that – skills that you have to translate to the NFL that you can't actually determine from college because the game is so different. Now, if they looked at it and said, look, these guys are not first-round picks. Bo Nix, McCarthy, the the internet likes them, but they're not actually first-round picks. Then I'm – I'm much more on board. I'm not into trading Justin Jefferson, but I'm much more on board to, you know what – 
sell three first round draft picks, do whatever it takes to make sure you get one of the quarterbacks. Uh, that that I would be much more into if they didn't think they were first-round picks than I wouldn't. Like with Will Levis last year, he wasn't a first-round pick. I was okay with the Vikings not just taking him to take him in the first round. Uh, but if they are those caliber prospects, the odds seem very up in the air, uh, and, and it's unpredictable who's going to work out. But I think more than anything, that supporting cast, coaching, all of that stuff plays into the success more than it ever has of quarterbacks. Dave, uh, put it on Twitter. Matthew Collar from Purple Insider demands the Vikings trade Justin Jefferson. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I was shocked. Dave, weren't you shocked that Collar is, is requiring the Vikings to deal Justin Jefferson? I heard it differently, but I'll listen back. <laughs> yeah, listen back. Good, good thing right. it's on the Odyssey app. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, back with Matthew in moments here at CC. Purple Insider is a must. He is extraordinarily well-informed. There's a good team with him. It's uh, podcasts. It's interviews. It's at Radio Row in uh, Vegas. It's breaking down the game. PurpleInsiderSubStack.com. Check it out. Matthew Collar is uh, still with us. Okay, it's uh, before we get back to football, it's National Pizza Day. Uh, do you love pizza? Do you like pizza? Or you're going to shock me and say you don't enjoy it at all? Huh, huh. Yeah, I, I mean, where I originally hail from is one of the capitals of pizza of the United States of America in Buffalo, New York. Whoa. So, yeah, Buffalo, I mean, New York, it, it's a pizza yeah. hub. Pizza and wings, man. What go what go yeah. together better? It's known for the wings, but the pizza has to keep up. Uh, it is an art form there, and yes, uh, I heard you earlier talking about how pizza would be your one thing if you were stuck on an island. Yeah. If um, if your personal health didn't matter, then yes. yes. Every, every single day, there's no question. Yeah. I, it's it's almost scary how much pizza I'm capable of consuming. So I have to try to like space out how often I get it because I could just easily keep eating it every single day. Well, I figure I'm on the island, and so I'm mm-hmm. assuming I'm exercising a lot. Um, I mean, I'm not going to have just salad. You know, if you're on an yeah. island, I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not just going to have a smoothie all the time. You know? Okay, do you have an ideal pizza which you prefer? I am a simple man. I just just give me pepperoni and I'm good. I don't need anything more. Just cheese, pepperoni. We're good. I don't like to get too creative with it. I just just straight up just give me give me the regular uh, you know. I don't I don't, I don't need to, I, I respect anybody who gets wild with pizza. I just don't need that in my life. Good enough as it is. Do you agree uh with this show that deep dish pizza is garbage? Uh, you know, I, I've had it a few times in Chicago and I can do it like once, once a year. If I go to Chicago, I'm going to, I'm going to have it, but would I prefer it in comparison to just a regular pizza? No, I just every, every once in a while, maybe like what I try to do is find some random corner pizza shop in Chicago and do it. Um, just because, but do I need it in my life? No, no, I don't. Okay. Let's get to the game. Which aspect of this game, either the the strength or weakness 
of either team or the matchup and how those will be highlighted, which part of this game is not being discussed enough in your view? I think that because of who San Francisco has been on defense in previous years, we just assume San Francisco's defense is really good, and I don't think it actually is. Uh, I think it is a mediocre defense. Um, and and part of that is, you know, their last two defensive coordinators got head coaching jobs and have had good Mm -hmm. defenses where they've gone. And I I think that Robert Sala and D'Amico Ryans were really good, and I think that Steve Wilkes is not very good at his job. And I don't think they cover particularly well. And and another thing that sort of went under the radar is in their press conferences leading up to Super Bowl week, uh, Steve Wilkes and John Lynch – called out the effort of their defensive players in the NFC championship game, which I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. Usually it's like, we're great. We're in the Super Bowl, whatever. And they went to the podium and said, like, a bunch of guys were too lazy. Is that like, that seems like a weird thing to say about your players when they're trying to get ready for the biggest game. Even if you think like, why would you say that publicly? Why wouldn't you just kind of keep that between you and them that you thought effort like wasn't you know good enough or something, and instead you're just going out and calling everybody out. I think that there's a little bit of an issue there with the defense, and you know when you're going against the world's greatest quarterback, it's like I, I think there's going to be lots of opportunities for Mahomes to throw the ball in this game. I'm with you 100. percent That that is a great point. I keep going back to this central theme. You have Mahomes, and the last couple games, and again, you know, excuse me, the the Baltimore win. I felt like they took just a very different approach in the second half because they had the lead. Yeah. You have Mahomes. You have Kelsey on fire again. Pacheco's good enough. Now, if the guard doesn't play, that's a big loss. But you have that side of the ball. And then you clear cut, have the better defense of the two. And, you know, Purdy... He's interesting. I, I think he's a little better than some people are giving him credit for uh, in these playoff performances, but clearly he has not started the game effectively. And mm-hmm. so if you have this Spagnola-led defense, not just Jones, but all the other elements, and then as you nailed it, the best quarterback on the planet, give me that scenario. I'm not diminishing the layers of San Francisco talent on offense. Because we had Kevin Harlan on yesterday, and he made the great point, and, and, and you know this also, all the versatility for San Francisco on offense, the fact that Purdy makes so little, the the flexibility that gives you to have McCaffrey and have Ayuk and to have Debo and to have Kittle. But, man, that Kansas City defense has been awfully good, Matthew, all season long. No, you're absolutely right. And they also have two really great cornerbacks, which is a huge deal. The coverage, I mean, we see how much it breaks down when the Vikings don't have those guys. But Trent McDuffie and Legereus Need are the key players in this game. And, you know, there is only so much you can do as far as misdirection and confusion and X's and O's from Kyle Shanahan. At the end of the day, you need Brock Purdy to not throw interceptable passes, which he has done. And the Packers might be in this game if they had caught a few of the balls that Brock Purdy threw him. And I think like, Brock Purdy's mind works extremely, extremely well. I think he's super fast in identifying stuff, and he really gets it when it comes to blitzes and things like that. But 
the one thing he's not perfect at is just the precision of his passing, right? If he had like Kirk Cousins accuracy, he'd be the best quarterback in the league. Or if he had Josh Allen's arm strength, but the actual arm talent that he has is the reason that he was not a first round draft pick. And I think that, Mm -hmm. you know, those parts all play together, but at, at the end of the day, sometimes you need to make a great throw, not just like, you know, hitting the open guys when the other team covers very well. And, Steve Spagnolo is really brilliant when it comes to it's not just blitzes, but it's really pressures. It's where the pressure is coming from, who he's sending, who's dropping back. He's just done a really good job at causing confusion. And we saw that from the other quarterbacks like Josh Allen, I think averaged four and a half yards per attempt against them. Lamar Jackson, they, they took away the run game, which is going to be a huge thing here. Can they take away the run game? Uh, and then, you know, Lamar Jackson was flustered that entire day in part because his receivers couldn't get open. So I, I have a lot of respect for Kansas City's defense. And if, if anyone on that KC defense was dating a pop singer, we would actually talk about it. But since we don't, uh, it, it deserves way more credit for that team being there. Uh, I uh, thoroughly enjoy our conversations throughout the football season. You are super knowledgeable. You're a good person. I know we'll talk in the off season. It just won't be as uh, frequent as every Friday. Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, chat with us each Friday. Uh, have a great weekend, and uh, you know we'll talk soon. Yep, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, and uh, really enjoyed all of these all year long. So I, I appreciate it. Purple Insider Substack. That's where you find Matthew's great information. A survey about individuals and their personal happiness with their personal life. Does the data surprise you? Let's discuss in moments. Wait a second. I remember this song. Um, All right, what do we think about this one? For the third time in more than two decades, Dave Harrigan, Less than half of Americans are very satisfied with the way everything's going with their personal life. 47% express high satisfaction with their lives. This is down uh, three percentage points over the past year. And the lowest point ever was 2011. And that was 46%. I... I guess I'm not surprised by this, and i very satisfied with your personal life. Almost half the country is very satisfied with how things are going with their personal life. Now, when you add, Dave, very or somewhat satisfied, it's 78%. So... I saw this yesterday. I'm glad you sent it out again today to remind me. I guess I should come on and be like, whoa, this is awful. This is alarming. We're headed the wrong way. I don't know. Now, am I in the best place in my personal life right now? I'm not. And there's a part of me that I'll just be really honest. I'm sad about it. Just being really, it's a transparent show. And there, um, there's a part of my life that I'm missing a lot. And I haven't faced it very often. And I'm facing it right now, and it, it, it does not feel great. And I, and I, so I can't say I'm very satisfied. 
But that's one part of my personal life. It's a big part of my personal life, but it's one part. There are other parts of my personal life which are great. Uh, one huge part, there's a whole. There's no doubt. But because of other parts of my life, I guess I'm somewhat satisfied. Eight out of ten. So I want to hear from you. 651-461-9226. What is your reaction to the data? And what are you willing to share? 47% say they are very satisfied. 78% when you include both. All right, Dave, when you hear that and when you answer it yourself, where where are you at? I think I'm a very satisfied. I I think most things are going good. We can all complain, right? We can all complain. There's always mm-hmm. something to complain about. But on the whole, I would put myself in the very satisfied. And I feel very lucky to say that. Uh, what alarms me is the, you said it's 78% that are either very or somewhat. And to right. me, I go to the negative thinking that means almost a quarter of us are walking around bummed about our personal lives. Yeah, I mean, just specifically, just just to give you data, and then you keep going. Eleven percent are somewhat dissatisfied. Nine percent are very very dissatisfied. Now, I'd say this, and I want you to react. I feel terrible. I genuinely feel, and I'm empathetic to those individuals, and I wish they were not in this category. Let's just say the very dissatisfied. With a country of 300, where are we at? 335 million? And all that life can throw at us, our own health, our relationship, our kids, our work dynamic, life is a, (laughs) it's a B word at times, right? It is overwhelming. It is euphoric it is amazing it is daunting it is insurmountable but if we're talking and again i wish it was zero percent i really do but if we're saying less than 10 percent are very dissatisfied and if you're in that group it's terrible but if we're looking at it collectively dave is that an enormous number when you put it percentage-wise, it's not. When you think that we're a country of country of over 330 million people, and that would mean 33 million are very dissatisfied with their lives, that's a big number. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I wonder how much, you know, you know, some of these people that are very dissatisfied, it could be that this survey got to them at a horrible moment in their life. They're yep. going through a breakup. They just had a... Right a death of a loved one or something like that. Obviously that takes a toll. I don't know how many that would be, but I also wonder how much, how much of it we tie a to the pandemic still coming out of that people still struggling coming out of that. And B what is, what has social media done to us? How much of it is just comparing what we think our lives should or could be to what we see on X and TikTok and, and the gram. 
Yeah, in in all of these, and again, I want feedback here. Six five one four six one nine two two six. If want if you want to share personally where you would fall along these lines, if you want to react to this particular survey, I'd love a phone call on this topic. When we get calls on certain topics, it rings home even more. You know, I believe in the text a lot, but this is one where I really would appreciate some feedback. Six five one four six one nine two two six. You know, if if everybody who is surveyed, if they're asked these same questions a month later, how many are in line? How many might have just had a very difficult challenge or something which was just at peak high level at that point? And, and it would change significantly because I don't know about that. I, I think there would be some flexibility. Dave, in, in, the sto- in the Gallup poll, again, this is Gallup, they point out, so right here where it's 78% very satisfied or somewhat satisfied, the highest ever was 84% 1979. Now, 1979, if you just look at the country and the economy, that wasn't a great time. Now, that doesn't mean there's always an absolute correlation to your personal life. But you're 100% right on one major difference when you mention social media. And as great as social media can be, it also can be debilitating in, in, in many ways, including when people unfairly, I think, try to compare their lives to others. And we, I can say we shouldn't do it. To a certain level, a lot of people do that, right? We're all guilty of it, at least on, on some level of looking some at somebody's level. vacation photos or their beautiful family pictures and saying, yeah, that looks pretty nice. I wish I had that. Why can't I have that? What do you want to say? Give me a little feedback on this, on those folks very satisfied, somewhat satisfied, or the 9% who say they're very dissatisfied with their personal lives. Share your own story. React to the survey. 651-461-9226. We're talking about this uh, Gallup poll survey, which came out yesterday, on how satisfied people are with their personal life. 47% say very satisfied. You add somewhat satisfied, that's 78%. 11% somewhat dissatisfied and 9% very dissatisfied. What do you personally want to say about it? Number of texts, appreciate those uh, coming in. Keep them coming. 651-461-9226. Let's go to Janet. Janet has called in. Janet, you're on uh, CCO. Hi, Chad. First of all, I'm about to turn 74, so I've got a little longer perspective than maybe some. So certainly the pandemic has impacted a lot of people and their satisfaction because it derailed some things that wasn't Mm -hmm. their fault. And, you know, kind of getting it back is turning out to be not an easy thing or even possible. However... 
I have not always had an easy life. I lost my oldest child three months ago, very unexpectedly. And I think that a lot of our satisfaction in life is a choice. And awful things happen in life, things we can't control, and terrible diseases. There are so many awful things that happen to people. But what Mm -hmm. we decide to do with the life that we have, as none of us knows how long we're going to have, is a choice. And sometimes maybe we need to ask for help to try and figure out how to make that choice work for us. It isn't always something we can, a hole we can dig ourselves out of. But sure. at some point, we have to take responsibility. My dad's youngest brother was born in 1932. He died almost two years, or a little more than two years ago at 89 years old. He had wonderful, wonderful things. And one of his was, if you're unhappy with the direction your life, or the road your life has taken, don't blame others. It's your own AS. Yep. P-H-A-L-T. Yeah. yeah. I got to jump in. That's a great call. So many good points from uh, Janet. And I can assure you, many of those points ring home with me personally, what I'm facing a little bit right now. Uh, Dave, uh, among your texts, uh, Dave hit it right. Social media probably is one of the main factors with unhappiness. By the way, 1979 was a good year. Well, I hope it was for this person. I'm not sure it was for the country, but... Uh, my number one reason for unhappiness is envy of people and many people I don't know. Well, you touch on that, Dave. For, for a lot of people, uh, that is something where way too much time is spent on it. And it, it can have a big effect. There's no doubt. Uh, the dissatisfied people, probably those losers who work from home. <laughs> Cat blanket people. Yes, the nasty cat flagging people. Um, very serious text here. I'm extremely disappointed in my personal life equated to extreme depression. That's awful. And we've talked depression on this show a lot. We've talked loneliness on this show a lot. And I feel for those folks. And, and, and I hope this particular texture, you can make um, significant progress in that area because it matters so much. Somebody's saying this is the dumbest segment we've ever done. I don't think they're giving our other segments enough credit for stupidity, Dave. Do you? No, far more stupid segments than this one. Yeah, I actually like this segment. I think it hit home with a lot of people. Uh, How about Shaletta early next hour?